Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a great show lined up for you today, including special guests Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Also, was honored uh, in Warsaw and to receive the Order of Merit, the highest civilian award. We'll also visit with uh, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington bureau chief and author of several novels, his latest, no Problem is the name of the novel. It is June the 6th, and on this day in 1944, Supreme Allied Commander General Dwight D. Eisenhower gave the go-ahead for the largest amphibious military operation in history, Operation Overlord, the Allied invasion of northern France, commonly known as D-Day. By daybreak, 18,000 British and American parachutists were already on the ground. An additional 13,000 aircraft were mobilized to provide air cover and support for the invasion. At 6.30 a.m., American troops came ashore at Omaha and uh, Utah beaches. The British and Canadians overcame light opposition to capture Gold, Juneau, and Sword beaches. So did the Americans at Utah. The task was much tougher at Omaha Beach, however, where the U.S. 1st Division battled high seas, missed, Mines, burning vehicles, and German coastal batteries, including an elite infantry division, which spewed heavy fire. Many wounded Americans ultimately drowned in the high tide. British divisions, which landed at Gold, Juno, and Sword Beaches, and Canadian troops also met with a heavy German fire. But by day's end, 155,000 Allied troops, Americans, British, and Canadians, had successfully stormed Normandy's beaches and were able to push ahead in inland within three months. The northern part of France would be freed and the invasion force would be preparing to enter Germany where they would meet up with Soviet forces moving in from the east. Before the Allied assault, Hitler's armies had been in control of most of mainland Europe and the Allies knew that a successful invasion of the continent was central to winning the war. Hitler knew this too and was expecting an assault on the northwestern Europe uh, coast in the spring of 1944. Uh, he hoped to repel the Allies from the coast with a strong counterattack that would delay future invasion attempts, giving him time to throw the majority of his forces to defeating the Soviet Union in the east. Once that was accomplished, he believed an all-out victory would soon be his. For their part, the Germans suffered from confusion in the ranks in the absence of celebrated Commander Field Marshal Erwin Rommel, who was away on leave. At first, uh, Hitler believed that the invasion was a feint uh, designed to distract the Germans from a coming attack north of the Seine River, refused to release nearby divisions to adjoin the counterattack, and reinforcements had to be called from a further afield, causing delays. He also hesitated in calling for armored divisions to help the defense. In addition, the Germans were hampered by effective Allied air support, which took out many key bridges and forced the Germans to take long detours, as well as an efficient Allied naval support, which helped protect advancing Allied troops. Though D-Day did not go exactly as planned, nothing ever does, does it? But as later claimed by British Field Marshal Bernard uh, Montgomery, for example, the Allies were able to land only fractions of the supplies and vehicles they had intended in France. The invasion was a decided success. By the end of June, the Allies had 850,000 men and 150,000 vehicles in Normandy and were poised to continue their march across Europe. D-Day, a day that will go down just as an amazing day in history. Congratulations to all those. And again, we stand on their shoulders with our freedom here in defeating uh, Hitler. Well, uh, uh, this is an interesting story. It's not because it's newsworthy necessary, but it just shows how time flies. Gerber announced Friday that Ann Turner Cook, the original Gerber baby, whose face remains the logo uh, company's logo, passed away at 95 years of age. In a social media post, the company stated it was deeply saddened by Cook's death and noted that her face was sketched to become the iconic Gerber logo more than 90 years ago. 
Cook was born in 1926, became a Gerber logo after her face was sketched by a neighbor, Dorothy Hope Smith, who submitted the portrait in 1928 in a contest held by Gerber to find a face to represent a uh, baby food advertising campaign, <clears throat> the uh, company's website states. Smith entered the same, the simple charcoal sketch in a competition against intricate oil paintings and planned to fine-tune the illustration if it was selected for the campaign. The portrait of Cook won over the judges who did not want Smith to elaborate on the sketch at all and ultimately used it as, uh, as it was for advertising campaign. In her adulthood, Cook became a mother and had a career as a mystery novelist, writing the uh, Bandy, uh, Brandy O'Bannon series, among other novels, she also worked as an English teacher and would have turned 96 on November uh, the 20th. My, how time flies. The Kerber baby died at age 95. Well, analysis of the Center for Immigration Studies reveals that Biden's expansive catch-and-release network, coupled with his end of critical policies like the Remain in Mexico program, has brought about 1.35 million illegal aliens to the United States in just 16 months, a foreign population larger than Dallas, Texas. Biden has uh, driven the nation's foreign-born population to an unprecedented 47 million by adding 2 million illegal and legal immigrants in, the, in less than a year and a half. Roughly two-thirds of that growth in the foreign-born population has been spurred by illegal immigrants under Biden, which had hit record-breaking uh, levels. Center for Immigration Studies Director Richard uh, Research Stephen Camarota called the numbers extraordinary, explaining that for the illegal immigrant population to grow, new arrivals do not simply have to exceed deaths and emigration. As is true for a total foreign-born, they also have to exceed legalizations, which are substantial every year. So in other words, that's a net number. The gross number is even much larger than that. Cameron would credit uh, Biden's campaign promises that created the perception well before he took office that he would curtail immigration enforcement for a rapid rise in the nation's illegal population. In other words, he sent out the message that, hey, uh, think about coming to the United States because we're going to plan on you coming here. Uh, even before he was elected. Further, the administration's decision to end migrant protection protocols, called Remain in Mexico, for many asylum applicants, the scaling back of Title 42 expulsions, and more recently the decision to end it altogether, coupled with the release of some three-quarters of a million Im uh, illegal immigrants uh, encountered at the border, as well as 146,000 unaccompanied minors, almost certainly has encouraged even more illegal immigrants to arrive in the southern border in the hope that they too will be released into the country. The administration's suspension of uh, nearly all interior deportations and the resulting dramatic decline in immigration enforcement, including deportations, plus its refusal to automatically take uh, custody of non-citizens released from jails and prisons, have likely made illegal immigrants feel safer, reducing immigration of those already and here encouraging new illegal immigration. Finally, efforts of some co in Congress to pass a bill legalizing illegal immigrants into the White House and the White House's continued support of such legislation cannot but help persuade some illegal immigrants in the country not to leave, as well as causing more to come. In other words, uh, some people have their visas expiring. They're saying to themselves, well, we'll just stay here because I think we're going to be okay. Today, uh, uh, there are anywhere from 11 to 22 million illegal aliens living in the United States. As is current rate, Biden is projected to add more than 4 million illegal aliens to the United States population by the end of 2024. Can you imagine? Illegal immigration costs American taxpayers about $134 billion each year. $134 billion each year. <clears throat> Joe Biden is not on our side. He's not building back better. He's making things worse for all of us. And by the way, he started the first phase of a program in Texas to have government bureaucrats grant asylum without having it adjudicated by a judge or in a court. Such a program based on government employees makes the decision without a judge or prosecutor would be very vulnerable to infiltration by open borders radicals and also to bribery, of course. This would be open to floodgates as the border even uh, much wider than they are already, making it nearly impossible to deport these bureaucrat-designated asylees in the future. This new very great threat to our national sovereignty 
is being implemented by edict, a rule change, not by changing the law. Texas and other states <clears throat> have uh, filed a lawsuit to have it stopped. The way things have been done up to now is that uh, those who skip the court hearings or are rejected for asylum get an automatic deportation order from the court, which means they could, in principle, be immediately deported at some point in the future because they already have a deportation order from a court. Biden wants to make it so once the millions of prospective new progressive voters are allowed to be in and approved by likely politicized bureaucrats, they can never get we can never get rid of them. That's right. That's what he wants to do. If they fail the interview, they can still have a court hearing before a judge uh, uh, before being deported. So it will be a lot like a one-way filter. It will just make it easier for them to get into the United States, but still just as difficult to deport them as before once they were here. If the asylum claimant passes the interview by a government employee, the claimant is given documents and can stay in the United States indefinitely. If the claimant fails to pass the interview, then he or she can start a case in court and be released with temporary papers and just disappear into the United States to eventually live illegally, just as the recent years with the catch and release. So let's assign some bureaucrats to uh, take care of this so we don't have to bother those judges. This is just unbelievable development. And this is, this is uh, what our president wants to do the United States. That coupled with inflation and what's going on with a shortage of food, the guy is literally, in my opinion, destroying the country. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis reportedly plans to veto a bill earmarking $35 million for a Tampa Bay Rays facility days after the team went on an anti-gun tirade on social media alongside the New York Yankees. The decision was reported by OutKick, would have the governor nixing $35 million of legislation for a Pasco County's facility that was earmarked for Tampa Bay's uh, Ray's spring training, according to the outlet, which asserted that the move is in response to the Tampa Bay Ray's recent display of anti-Second Amendment virtue signaling on social media. This would not be the first time DeSantis has taken action against woke uh, organization advancing anti-freedom ideas in his state taking on Disney after it vowed to fight against the parental rights and education bill. <laughs> they immediately replaced the, <laughs> the guy that thought that up. And so in Florida, our policies uh, got to be based on the best interest of Florida citizens, not on the musing of woke corporations, the governor said in March. Good for him. And uh, by the way, for those that uh, want to have companies here in Florida that want to go against DeSantis's keeping Florida free, I think that's probably a bad idea. Not a good financial decision. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of historycentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Thank you. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out, find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is an author, historian. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Great for kids of all ages. You should check it out, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So, uh, as usual, we'll talk about global events, current global events. And how about an update on Ukraine? What's going on? Okay, so in Ukraine, um, it looks like the Russian advance in Donbass has been blunted by the um, by the Ukrainians. Uh, they managed to lure uh, the Russians into a city. I, I can't pronounce his name. Shvensko. I'm, I'm very bad at Ukrainian names. At any rate... Um, they pulled partly back. They lured the uh, the Russians into the city, and then they counterattacked very successfully. Um, so the Russians are still pounding away, destroying cities, destroying apartment houses. You know, uh, crimes of war which we have not seen since World War II are taking place every single moment by the Russians. Um, but the Ukrainians are fighting back. Zelensky actually went to the front, the very very front lines um, yesterday, visited the troops got reports on what's going on and saw for himself. Um, he's, not, he's not fighting this war from a bunker, let's put it that way. Mm, that's great. Um, so, And um, look, no one really knows. No one knows what Putin is, is going to do. I have a, uh, a friend who keeps warning me that he's going to go to nuclear weapons. I don't know. Um, but um, we'll see. Um, but... I've heard, I've heard that uh, he he escalated the war in Donbass. Well, he's, in Donbass, he, he he basically concentrated everything in Donbass. He gave up on he gave up on almost all the everything else and is concentrating everywhere else. In the other areas, the Ukrainians have gone to small counteroffensives, taking back parts of of territory that the Russians had previously conquered. Um, he's put everything into Donbass, but his army is so bad that um, they're just not succeeding, ultimately. Hmm. And he lost another two generals yesterday. Um, they're just not capable of, a, of really fighting this. And the Ukrainians, of course, have a much greater will to fight. And they actually outnumber the Russians. The Russians still have more more tanks and more artillery. But with all the help the Western countries are giving, it's they're catching up, and the Ukrainians have more men under arms. So any insight into so, the end game on this? I mean, because it looks like it's a stalemate at this point. Uh, I don't think it's a stalemate. I mean, we don't really know what the end game is going to be, but I would not be surprised that all of a sudden one day we hear the Russians' uh, front has collapsed. Uh, that is a real, real possibility. The Russian, the, the morale is so low, uh, their ability to supply their troops is so poor, and they're under relentless attack by the Ukrainians. Um, and the Ukrainians are getting, you know, more and more and more accurate artillery from the West. Um, they've gotten some really, really large guns with re- real accuracy, much more, be- much better than all the Soviet weaponry. Um, so there is a real, real possibility that that one day we're going to hear that the Russians' front has collapsed and the Ukrainians are 
I'm moving forward. I don't know that's going to be, you know, I don't know that for a fact. Right. Um, but but I would not be surprised if that ended up being the end game. Uh, well, that would also spell um, the end of Putin's reign, wouldn't it? I would hope so. I would think so. I mean, it's so hard to know, you know, what keeps him in power. Um, but I would have to think it would be the end of his reign. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so many stories about cancer, doesn't have cancer. Uh, you know, we don't know anything. It's all these Kremlin intrigue stories that have always been around that we never really know a lot about. Um, but um, the only solution here is for Putin to be out of power. I'm one of those people who, I mean, I think Macron uh, from France has been, is, is, you know, is totally French. He was talking this week, we can't embarrass Putin too much. We can't, you know, what, what do you mean you can't embarrass Putin too much? The man is a war criminal. He needs to be embarrassed and humiliated. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Forget whether he should be shot, but uh, we, we shouldn't humiliate him. I mean, I, I don't think people under, some people understand just how much he, he totally broke all the norms of, of the world, uh, and the world, you know, national, of, of Europe and everything else since World War II. You know, you're bringing that up reminds me that today is the anniversary of uh, our, the invasion of Normandy by the United States troops. Today is D-Day. D-Day. Yeah. Any reflections? Men, yeah, absolutely. I mean, these men were going, uh, doing about to do the impossible, mm -hmm. uh, land on the beaches of Normandy. Yes, the U.S. had naval, you know, naval superiority and they had air superiority, but still, beach landings are the most difficult things there are. Those first waves, um, you wouldn't want to have been in those first waves because 50, 60 percent of the men in the first waves ended up being killed. Yeah. Um, but they took, they took the, the beaches, they took the hills above, and that was the beachhead into Europe. And eventually, that was what brought Nazi Germany to, to an end. I mean, the Russians did their part on the on the Russian front, but if the Americans hadn't come uh, from from the West, um, I don't think the Germans would have been defeated. Yeah. I think and uh, look. Uh, bravery and also a realization then the United States look made a big mistake after World War One, right? In other words, after World War One we concluded these are all European problems. There were all these stories that the reason there was a war were the you know, the, the merchants of death, so to speak, are the ones who wanted the war, which wasn't the case in World War One. World War One was World War One started by accident. Mm -hmm. We can go into that as a different story. World War One started by accident. World War Two was not accidental. It was one evil man, primarily, who, who led an attack to conquer more lands and believing that the Germanies, Germans were superior and they deserved much more, much greater part of Europe, let's put it that way. Right. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt recognized early on that, um, that, this, that the United States can't remain detached, even though we were officially neutral, and um, started helping the British. And, of course... Hitler made one of his biggest mistakes when, after the Japanese uh, attacked the United States in Pearl Harbor, he declared war on the United States. So any lingering isolationism that might have existed in the United States was, war, you know, wiped away once Hitler declared war on the United States. Interesting. And um, we, you know, we we fought that war. We we first we first learned our lessons, of course, in the Pacific with the Pacific landings. We learned lessons in North Africa with the landings in North Africa, then Sicily, then in southern Italy, and then we were finally ready for the big show, which was, was Normandy. D-Day, indeed. D-Day. So, so interesting. So uh, let's, let's uh, move our discussion to Hungary. Yeah, so Viktor Orban is becoming a real fly in the ointment of NATO and the EU and everybody else. Um, he's a Putin ally as much as he can be. And so he's blocking additional sanctions of oil against against uh, Russia as much as he can. Um, he won't allow any arm, armaments going to the Ukrainians to pass through Hungarian territory. Um, listen, he's the Putinite, and he's very similar to Putin. He's just running a much smaller country. Mm -hmm. um, so um, hopefully he'll go the way of Putin once this is all over, too. That's my personal opinion. Um, part of right NATO, though, that doesn't that make uh, he's part of uh, uh, Hungary's part of NATO, though. So doesn't that make it uh, somewhat difficult? To kind of, uh, he's on our side, but he's not. Exactly, it's very difficult. It's very problematic. Yeah, it's very very problematic. He's part of the EU, EU as well. He gets lots and lots of money from the EU, 
but he doesn't want the EU regulations, okay, but he won't go along with the sanctions of the EU because he's sort of supporting Putin, but he doesn't support him too publicly because he can't, because public opinion, even in Hungary, um, you know, is is not in favor. I mean, remember one thing about Hungary is different than almost all of the other countries that we're thinking about in Europe. Believing Germany is a whole other story, but Hungary was not captured until the very end. It was a it was an ally of Germany, mm-hmm. and so you know, in the end, the Russians came and conquered Hungary, but they did so not so much as liberators. Gotcha. So. Hungary is a, a very unique case, let's put it that way. Mark, we have so much more to talk about. Can you stick around? Absolutely. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a -a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratostel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. So, Mark, uh, what's happening in Japan? Well, Japan's an interesting story right now. I mean, there are two issues that are, that are worrying the Japanese. On one hand, you have the North Koreans, who, I, who we didn't mention, who have been firing ballistic missiles almost every day now for the last week or so. And so there's a great deal of concern in, in Japan about the direction of, of North Korea and the fact that you know, nothing's stopping their nuclear program. Hmm. And so they're concerned on that level, and they're about to spend a lot of money on increasing their defense spending. Similar to, by the way, Germany just passed a national referendum to increase their defense spending by $100 billion. Um, so, um, excuse me, a constitutional amendment. It wasn't a national referendum. So they just passed a, an amendment to allow them to spend a lot of money on defense, and Japan is doing the same. Japan, actually, the Japanese premier has decided most likely to attend the NATO upcoming NATO meeting because he wants to coordinate more closely with NATO in regards to Russia in terms of sanctions and everything else that the whatever the Japanese can do to help in containing the Russians and don't forget the Russians and the Japanese have a I believe they're still theoretically still at war I don't really? think they have a 
settled the issue of a bunch of islands that were occupied by Russia after World and you know, in the last few minutes of World War Two. The Russians, I don't know if you, re, if you readers, if you listeners, I'm sorry, the Russians played an interesting game when it came to Japan. They held off uh, declaring war on Japan basically until we dropped the atomic bomb, and then they declared war and managed to get you know they managed to to, to get what's North Korea. They occupied North Korea from the Japanese, and they occupied. I believe it was the Kuril Islands off of um, the Japanese, off the Japanese coast towards Russia. And so they got some spoils from World War II without having to fight the Japanese really at all. Mm. And so the Japanese are not exactly favorably inclined. It goes all the way back to the Russo-Japanese War. The last time the um, Japanese uh, fought the, the Russians, of course, uh, the J- Russians were totally destroyed by the Japanese. Yeah, two comments. Uh, first of all, it surprises me that uh, Jap- Japan would want to be involved in a NATO meeting, number one, and number two, that their concern is Russia, not China. Well, because that's the immediate concern. You know, in other words, everyone has a long-term concern about China. Yeah. And that's a long-term concern that we all should be worried about. It's an economic concern, it's a military concern, it's a concern on lots of different levels, but it's not immediate. In other words, maybe if you're Taiwan, you're sort of concerned immediately, but I think after... What we've seen in Ukraine, you're a little less concerned for the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is the Russian, look, look, Russia seems to be led by a madman or someone who's certainly out of his senses when it comes to what he's done. So if you're Japan and you're looking at the world order, the most important thing for any country these days is the return to the world order, which means countries don't invade other countries for no reason. Mm-hmm. So, so what is the threat from uh, so Japan is uh, interesting and I, it sound the way you describe it they're interesting participating in sanctions against Russia but their concern is not being invaded by or harmed by Russia. Right, and their concern is generally to to to, to keep the world order um, steady. Let's put it that way. There's no other way of putting it. Yeah, uh, to keep the world order steady and. Um, you know, a world without rules is a very dangerous war world, excuse me. Yeah. You know, you can argue whether the United Nations was perfect or not, and whether laws of war that were created in Geneva over the years, etc., are perfect and everyone is keeping them, etc. But by and large, people have followed those, you know, the world order set, set up in that way, and that countries' borders are sacrosanct, countries don't invade other countries. We saw what happened when Iraq invaded Kuwait. Uh, the world responded and pushed them out. Um, so these are these are important factors. And um, what Putin has done is upset the apple cart of the whole world. Yeah. So let's let's move to England. Uh, this, of course, the Queen is cel- celebrating her 70th. Right. The Queen is celebrating her jubilee, which is all very nice and well, and yep. we can all celebrate with her. I mean, it's hard to believe someone's been queen for 70 years. I mean, what a life. Think about that. It's yep. unbelievable. Yeah. What what she has seen in life is unbe- is unbelievable, and she still seems relatively. I think she's ninety five. She's for a ninety five year old. She seems to be pretty doing pretty well. She looked great. Uh, I wish it on both. I wish it on both of us to be <laughs> as healthy as she is at ninety five. Absolutely, uh, yeah. It was... uh, so that's all all good. The other side of it, though, it looks like Boris Johnson's about to face a no confidence vote, and he may lose it. Huh. Um, this this all goes back to the whole question of COVID. And his lying about whether, you know, they had parties at 10 Downing Street or not. And so the issue is not so much the opposition, because the opposition doesn't have the votes. It's within his own party. There are people who are pretty upset at him. Uh, very, very un-English way of doing things to be lying about things like that. American yeah, like politicians it. are accepted to lie. You know, that's like politician and lying. That seems to be one and the same thing these days. But in Britain, it's... Still not so accepted that you lie about things. That's right. I mean, it's uh, the I hate you know the, the hypocrisy is just unbelievable, and uh, it's been exposed, and it's been exposed here in the United States. So, uh, but it's surprising to me that they'd want to uh, choose that as the thing to uh, uh, have a vote of no confidence. Uh, there's certainly other well, things. But I think you know the issue of of honesty is very important to the seems to be more important to the British than it is to the Americans. Let me put it that way. Yeah, we would probably. We would probably vote out all of our, all of almost ninety percent of our politicians if honesty was the key factor. No question about it. And I mean, the the uh, Sussman uh, uh, decision in and of itself just demonstrates that hey, we've oh, we've just institutionalized lying. We expect it. I wouldn't go that way. I would say the Sussman thing was a nonsense, but that's a different story altogether. That's where we start disagreeing yeah. <laughs> o- 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 over issues. <laughs> he was a bit player and a bit act. 
and the guy and the guy couldn't find anything else, so he found Sussman. But Mike, but, Mark, uh, here's here's the reason why I made, made the comment. Here's why I made the comment. The fact of the matter is, there was proof positive that he lied to the FBI. Now, whether that should be a charge that was brought forth, whatever, he definitely lied to the FBI, and, and the jurors basically said, "Well, that's yeah, not that big a deal." Uh, yes and no. The jurors also said there was some question whether he actually lied or not because there was some proof the other way in terms of who he who he billed it to. It turns out that he billed the billed the time not not to the Clinton campaign or to some uh, or any of those entities was was built personally. So there was some there was some issues of you know reasonable doubt there. Don't forget we believe in guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in the United States. Yeah, it wasn't a civil suit. It was a it was a criminal case. Yeah. Um, so, um, but. Look, lying is institutionalized. There's no question about it. Our politicians lie all the time. Uh, they lie about the you know the promises they they make and the promises they keep, and they lie about just you know regular facts sometimes, which is really problematic. I I have no problem. I, I mean, I have a little bit of a problem, but I don't have that big a problem with a, with a politician who says I'm going to fix whatever it might be, right? I will solve that problem. Because mm -hmm. often solving that problem is almost impossible to do. You think you can. You want the job because you think you can, and you don't succeed. Okay, I, that's that's acceptable to me. But when when a politician, whoever he may be, says, you know, the earth is flat when it's round, or whatever it might be, you know, absolute facts, and he says the opposite of what an absolute fact, that that's a problem. And so, so, so that, and too many of them do that these days. I agree. Too many different spheres. I agree. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. encourage you to visit out HistoryCentral.com. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Have a great week. You as well. Thank you, Mark. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now and uh, visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Uh, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now, we have with us Larry Reed. Larry is the president emeritus 
of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Larry, could you tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education? Okay. We are a public policy and educational think tank headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. Our focus is on high school and college students. We try to inspire and educate them on ideas and principles of free enterprise, private property, uh, entrepreneurship, and personal character. And we do that through our very robust website, which is fee.org, where you'll find daily fresh content and commentary, uh, free videos and courses, and uh, lots of other great material. Plus, we hold events uh, for in-person audiences around the country and sometimes abroad. Indeed, a great organization. I hope you, if you have a young person in your life, introduce them to fee.org, F-E-E.org. Larry, I want to start off the interview by uh, acknowledging you for your being honored in Warsaw and receiving the highest, I believe it's the highest civilian award that they could provide. It's the, uh, the uh, receive the Order of Merit. Congratulations to you. Hey, thank you very much, Bob. I was quite surprised when I learned of it, and I'm very much looking forward to the ceremonies in Warsaw, which are coming up. A uh, firm date hasn't been set, but it'll be soon at the Presidential Palace uh, in the country's capital. I think it'd be really edifying for our audience for, to understand why, in fact, they would select you, a United States citizen, to honor with this, with this award. It goes back to my first trip to Poland, which was during the communist days in 1986. I spent time as a freelance journalist there uh, visiting with people who were active in the resistance to communist rule. And that meant uh, I was meeting illegally with uh, a lot of uh, activists that the government uh, would have loved to have put away. And uh, then I wrote a great deal about uh, what was happening inside Poland and predicted that at some point in the not-too-distant future, uh, the communist system would completely break down because nobody was paying it any attention. And that indeed did happen three years later. Uh, well, congratulations to you. One of the stories that I just enjoy, I could hear it over and over again, is the one about the uh, blinking lights throughout uh, Warsaw. I believe this is this, this is correct. Uh, when uh, People, when the, just let us know that you're listening in on uh, this uh, underground radio program that was going on, and apparently everybody in Poland was listening to it. Or, yeah, yeah, uh, the broadcasters, one of whom is still living. It was a couple, husband and wife, and uh, they asked people on the air, "If you're listening and believe in this message of freedom for Poland, please blink your lights." And uh, they then told me that they went to the window, and for hours, all of Warsaw was blinking. Isn't that cool? Uh, I still, to this day, 36 years later, find that uh, incredibly inspiring. Indeed, Larry. So uh, turning our topic to one of your most recent columns, it's so interesting. When Thoughts Turn to Gold, maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. Yeah, this article appeared uh, a week ago at uh, fee.org. It's still there for people to see. And the point of it was to say, uh, now the government paper money is uh, devaluing itself dramatically, thanks to the overprinting of it by the Federal Reserve. Maybe it's time we start thinking once again about the important fundamentals of sound money, which include not only balanced budgets and fiscal restraint, but also uh, the possibility of a restoration of some kind of precious metal backing to the currency. It's the uh, breaking of that connection between paper and gold that happened in several steps over the last century that has brought us to the present situation where governments uh, are unrestrained in how much they print, and now we're really paying the price for it with 8 9 10% inflation. So it's gold. Is, it's not specifically because it's gold, but it's just precious, hard to mine, hard. It's In other words, the supply of gold is not going to increase dramatically. So the point being is that uh, gold creates a standard by which if we retain the gold standard, we're not going to see this uh, uh, printing of money because, the, you know, the, 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 the uh, dollar or the whatever metric you choose is, uh, ha is measured against some standard of gold value and uh, therefore... If you have, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, we went on the gold standard, we had much less inflation than we have today. Oh, yes. When we were on the gold standard, we had essentially zero inflation over the long term. We had 
decades at a time when prices were relatively stable. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't move, Mm -hmm. but they didn't get very far out of line. Uh, If uh, lots of gold came on the market uh, because of a discovery, you'd see a small spike in prices, not even the 8% that we saw here in paper uh, in prices this past year. But that would soon uh, correct itself because the higher value for gold uh, would then prompt more miners to bring more forth, and that tend to bring prices down. It's the same force, the market market forces, that govern the supply of anything else. If you produce too many green beans, uh, the price falls, the value of the beans fall, and the bean farmers say, I'm going to switch and plant something else. And so those prices don't get very far out of line before market forces tend to bring them back in line. But with unbacked paper money, you don't have that kind of automatic check. They can just print as much as they want in Washington. And have done so. If I'm not mistaken, the money supply has increased something like 60 or 80% over the last few years because of what's happening with the Fed. Yeah, there are different ways to measure it. I've seen at the low point about 35%, but I have seen figures suggesting by some measures uh, they've increased it by some 60% over the last two and a half, three years. Yeah. Um, and that's just unsustainable. And we should not at all be surprised that when that happens, the value of the money outstanding tends to decline, and it shows up in the form of higher prices for everything. So we've made it legitimate because we call it kind of current or modern monetary theory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all these experts. Boy, haven't they been so right about so many things. <laughs> yeah, so it's just not so. How, how do we get back on the money standard, on the gold standard? Well, first, I think you, you could never announce a return to it as long as you have trillion-dollar annual budget deficits. You first need the fiscal responsibility that clearly sends a message, we really mean it, but we want our money to be sound again. So if you make those fiscal uh, steps uh, to uh, balance the budget uh, through drastic uh, reductions in government spending, then you can start talking about let's uh, – Let's do its counterpart in the monetary sphere by uh, stopping this business of, of printing unbacked paper. You could uh, simply announce that every dollar outstanding will be redeemable on demand in a certain quantity of gold, and I would allow market forces to establish that, not, not some automatic uh, or arbitrary uh, price set by politicians. But at a market price, if you want to redeem your paper, uh, you can do so. And Suddenly, that would put a discipline on the monetary authorities. Uh, the market would have essentially say, uh, don't issue any more of this paper stuff because people will then rush to demand gold for it. So you better have the gold or don't print it in the first place. So I hate to entertain a rumor, but do we have the gold on hand to back it? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that is a function of the price of it. Yeah, uh, I think to return to a gold standard, you'd have to have full disclosure. The Treasury would have to come forth and say, here's how much we've got. Um, and then you'd have a period of time where mark- markets would adjust in anticipation of redemption. And uh, it might be at a very high price, depending on how much we have. Uh, but once that price is established, uh, then um, uh, there would be enough gold. It's all a function of... Uh, of price. That's true of anything else. Uh, yeah. Do we have enough green beans? Well, yeah. you know, at $1,000 a bean, yeah, there'll, there'll be plenty of beans. Yeah. Uh, at 10 cents a bean, maybe not. But yeah. the prices tend to bring supply and demand together. Uh, great point. Larry Reed, again, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education and honored in Warsaw to receive the Order of Merit. Terrific accomplishment. Larry, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My My pleasure, Bob. Thank you so much. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several uh, murder mysteries. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. 
Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. As I mentioned before the break, we have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books, Great Murder Mysteries, starting with Follow the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and its sequel, his latest book, No Problem. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure on this uh, beautiful May day in Pennsylvania. Well, it's and actually it's, uh, it's actually June, Jim. <laughs> oh, it is June. Uh, May came a month later, but the uh, it's June sixth. That's right, D Day indeed. Do you have any any uh, recollections or thoughts about D Day? Oh, you know, one of my favorite. Uh, authors is Cornelius Ryan. He was an Irish-American journalist who flew on 14 bombing missions during the war. Then he spent the rest of the war with General Patton. And then when the war in Europe was over, he went to the Pacific. And then from the Pacific, he went to uh, Palestine to see the formation of Israel. But in 1949, he decided to write a book called The Longest Day, hmm. which was one of the most popular World War II books ever written. Right. And he, he sent questionnaires out to thousands of GIs who fought on the beaches in Normandy. And those records have been digitalized. And they're at the Ohio University in Athens. I mean, if you go on their website, there is a treasure trove of these first person accounts of what it was like on Omaha Beach. And I, I would recommend that, that your listeners go to uh, the Ohio University, not, not Ohio State, Ohio University right. Library website and look up Cornelius Ryan. So like I do, I do this every year on D-Day. I go to that site and at random... I pull some of the questionnaires, and today I, I pulled one from a sergeant, Raymond Strajny, who was 25 on D-Day when his people landed on Omaha Beach. Mm. And he talks, it's a typed sheet, and he, he talks about he lands on the beach, and there is fire coming from three directions on Omaha Beach. And immediately, a German gun emplacement knocks out three U.S. tanks that were providing support for his platoon and for other platoons on the beach. So he decided he had to uh, get a bazooka team to knock out the gun emplacement. He went to look for a bazooka team. There weren't any. They had all been shot up. So then he went to look for a bazooka. So he finds one and he finds some ammunition. 
he crosses a minefield by himself wow. to get a bead on the gun emplacement. And he starts shooting bazooka shells at it and realizes that the bazooka is broken. <laughs> so, you know, it's firing the shells, but they're um, not at maximum velocity. So, so he fires, uh, he exhausts his ammunition and decides, well, I'll, I'll look for more ammunition. So he crosses the minefield again, gets more ammunition. You know, this is just a regular American. Yeah. He goes back, goes back to where he was and he fires a shot. And he got a lucky shot. It hit the ammunition in the gun emplacement and blew it sky high. But uh, exactly at the moment he fi fired at the gun emplacement, a bullet went through his left eye, went around the inside of his skull and lodged near his ear. He said he was wounded slightly. Oh, my gosh. For that, for that he was awarded the Silver Star by General Eisenhower. But when you go through these archives, I mean, you hear soldiers talking about other incidents like this and i you know not their own heroism but but heroics they saw from others and and, and you know another memorable account i saw was a chaplain who whose hair he says his hair turned white in 10 minutes on the beach wow because it was so awful you know people dying uh, all around him so um you know, I'm trying to keep the memory of D-Day alive. You know, you and I remember it because our fathers and our neighbors fought in World War II. Right. I try to keep it alive among my children and grandchildren because, you know, 78 years is quite a distance for young people. Well, that's when we, so used, to, we used to fight a war in, in order to win. <laughs> yes, yes. But, but Cornelius... Ryan has this tremendous archive, and his books are fabulous. Um, I particularly like A Bridge Too Far, which is about, uh, you know, the Operation Market Garden, which was uh, British General Montgomery's brainchild, and it was a, one of the worst disasters for the Allies of World War II. Uh, Ryan's reporting is so thorough and exquisite. It's a it's a gold standard for for any kind of journalism. And another book he wrote, which few people have have read, is called The Last Battle, and it's about the drive of the uh, Allies and the Russians to take Berlin. And it really brings home the brutality of war, yeah. uh, because Ryan actually got the the that's what he wrote. The, when the Iron Curtain had come down, and he actually got the Russian military to open up and speak to him. So, you know, so um, was... Lynn and I watched uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. That's the First World War, of course, but it talk about the atrocities of war, and it really depicts what, how awful the, the entire experience is. So I highly recommend that as well. It's been, it's, it was uh, produced in 1930, but it's been restored beautifully. It's black and white, but it's really an unbelievable film. So I recommend that highly as well. Yes, it's one of my favorite uh, movies. It's so well acted. Yeah. So, uh, and I think it's important to keep the memory of uh, D-Day and World War II alive. And, and, you know, if you let the situation in the world uh, get too far out of hand, if you let, if you let the enslavers uh, have their way, if you try to, uh, you know, solve, try to disarm them with diplomacy, you're, you're flirting with problems. I think, I think it has real lessons for us today in, in confronting uh, yeah. the Russians. Jim, I'm so happy you brought this to our attention, and I 100% agree. Plus, we should also just think about how precious our freedoms are because it was because of these people and what they did that we're able to be free today and we need to to fight the wars that, that will help us retain those freedoms indeed and i'm not just talking about uh, gun wars but i'm talking about uh, the uh, verbal and the political and the wars that will just allow us to maintain our freedoms so I really appreciate your commentary here on the, on the show, Jim. I want to just uh, mention, no problem, the latest in a, in a series of uh, murder mysteries located in Washington, D.C. Just a great read. No problem. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. A pleasure, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with our state senator, 
Kathleen Pasadomo, Boo Mortensen will be joining us. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government, and my wife Linda will be joining us as well. I uh, always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.